we will go to the scriptures here in just a moment. Uh, we know that heaven doesn't follow Hallmark. Right? I mean, and I'm not looking for you to, you know, get mad at Hallmark or anything. In other words, you know, these kinds of days are our... Our, our we we are our contrived days. You know, Father's Day is a is a you know we it's a good thing, but it's not like oh turn to the you know Hezekiah four and you'll see where Father's Day is prescribed. You know, it's not in there. Neither is Hezekiah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but the heart of God. But the heart of God is. But the heart of God is inclined to uh, meet meet us and be sensitive to where we are. And because of that, I'm aware of where many of our hearts and minds are today. And, and if you'll give me the, the, just the latitude, um, I don't presume to be anyone's dad other than my own kiddos, but uh, I do recognize my opportunity and my responsibility to serve this house on particular days and particular times. So could I just do this for a moment? May I ask everyone just to uh, bow their heads across the house just for a sec, just to take a private moment. going to give you a moment here just to, for a sec. I want to pray over those this morning who are, oh boy, I've been trying to hold this together for a, a while, but uh, I want to pray for you this morning who are missing your dads. I pray for those who are missing their fathers or today you are still feeling perhaps some sort of a fracture. Maybe the the distance is not because they've, they've gone on to be with the Lord, but the distance is because of friction or failure. I want to pray for you this morning. Some of you are missing your kids. Some may feel like you personally have failed or just been rejected. There's just, for those this morning that, this day has the, the tinge of pain, whether it's the pain of missing someone you love and miss deeply, deeply or a pain of regret. I want to pray for you today. If today you in your soul just say, yep, today's a good day for, for me to, a good day to, to, to experience the mercy of God, some healing that you, you could use in your heart today. Would you just, with your heads bowed, no one's looking around. I just want to pray over you. Would you just lift your hand so I can pray with you today? Just lift it up. You're certainly not alone today, but I want to give you this private moment. Father, give me grace now. Lord, I pray over this house, these people. I pray over those, Lord, parents and children who either there's, there's distance, there is regret, there's just the ache of wishing a loved one were, were closer today. I pray, Lord, today for peace. I pray for healing. I pray, Lord, today, I pray for those in this room that today they, they need to take a, a healthy, godly, righteous step toward forgiveness. Grant us the mercy, the grace today to, 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 to take those steps. Lord, grant us today the, the, the discipline and the attention that, that we should to to make sure that we steward those who are still close to us, that we steward those relationships, that we give thanks, that we honor those. And Lord, for those that have lost precious ones, I pray for just an extra measure of healing grace. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege 
of that ache that we have today, that ache that was earned over years of kindness. We pray for healing today in Christ's name. In Christ's name. Now, could I have every man in the house please stand? If you're willing and able, you can, you can just lift your head if you don't want to stand. But if you are a dude, please stand. All right, men, I want you to just open your arms up like I'm going to throw you something, okay? You're, I'm gonna, I want to bless you. Listen to me, every man in the house, you belong. You are chosen. Your life is a joy to your heavenly Father. I don't care how well you think you know him or not. He knows you better than you do. And you are a joy to him. You are worth it. You have what it takes. Men, we bless you. Men, we honor you. Men, we call you blessed. We call you favored. We call you known by God. And may the Holy Spirit speak deeply from within you today, witnessing and affirming that you belong, that you are behind no one. That there is no pretense, no barrier, no performance necessary. You are loved by God, and we bless you in Jesus' name. And if you have an amen in this house, now is a good time to let it out. All right, let's give the Lord praise before you sit down. Good job. Now, in your Bibles, why don't you now open up, please, to the book of Matthew. We know that because we've talked about it, but if you're newer today, here's, here's the backstory. The book of Matthew, one of the, one of the earlier gospels written, and uh, the early church used this text uh, as, a, as a catechism, as a, as a discipleship manual, how to, how, how to follow Jesus. Here's the, here's the manual, essentially, for how to do that. The Gospel of Matthew calls the reader to follow Jesus as his disciple. Everybody say, follow me. Follow me. Those were the, the first recorded words we hear Matthew hear from Jesus, follow me. So this text then tells us that, that being a disciple of Jesus means that we live for Jesus and we live like Jesus because we've been brought into vital contact with his Holy Spirit. Not bad. So here we are in the, now we're in the, we are, finally we're in the words in red. We are in chapter five and we're in this portion in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about righteousness. Remember, first of all, he congratulates us for repenting, that, that uh, the Beatitudes are congratulations, you've repented, you have entered the most glorious life. Then he lets us know that we're the only hope of the planet. No pressure. But you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world and there is no plan B. And then he shifts gears and he begins to call his disciples to real righteousness. Everybody say real righteousness. And he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill every expectation of the law, every promise, every hope of the, of, of the prophets. He is the fulfillment. He fulfills them. And he shows us or reveals to us the fulfillment of the law, the intent, the ultimate design, the meaning of this. He reveals real righteousness to us and doesn't just reveal it to us. So we'll go, my, my, isn't that interesting? There's righteousness. But to invite us to join him in it. To follow Jesus is to walk in righteousness. Righteousness is the goal and the expectation of all of Christ's disciples. Very, very good. Okay? 
Now, what, what we have also emphasized, kind of by accident, but it's kind of uh, just become something that I've said as we've started, is that righteousness is not the hard life. Jesus did not come to say, follow me, ay, ay, yumfna. Follow, that's a, people say that when they're carrying heavy things. I'm not sure if you knew that, the ay, ay, yumfna part. Uh, follow me and get ready for a, real, a lot of hard work. You weren't called to a labor camp. You weren't called to prison. Righteousness is not the hard life. It is the good life. And righteousness is not a burden. It is a blessing. I'll just add this this morning that righteousness is just, it's just much better than wrongness. So now we have landed in these, in each, uh, in chapter 5, beginning with, uh, right after verse 20, beginning with verse 21, Jesus gives examples of the kind of righteousness he's talking about. He doesn't lay down new legislation. It's not a new list of commands. He gives examples of his fulfillment, and he pulls examples from the Torah, from uh, contemporary, uh, what his audience would have understood as commands from the law. And then says, and then explains how he fulfills that, how he, he reveals the ultimate meaning. And he, I believe, or it, it appears that he may have said more than this, but Matthew selects at least six examples that Jesus gives. And in so doing, he's not just giving six random ideas or six random things that Jesus is, uh, wants to tell us about, but each of these speak to fundamental uh, parts of the human character. He actually shows us that, that, that specific laws like don't murder are actually, are, their, their scope and their magnitude on the human heart and the human life are much larger. Righteousness is more than don't kill people. Righteousness is don't harbor anger, don't hurl hostility, and make things right with others. So what he does is he shows us that the, the, the fullness of these commands, okay? Don't commit adultery. Not eat, oh, good, check, no, don't, don't commit adultery. He, Jesus tells us that's, that means don't even entertain sin in your imaginations. Huh. Let's pick it up today. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, and this is Jesus, this is the pattern, you've heard this, but I say, then that's the equivalent of thus saith the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. This was before some of the chemical solutions that... <laughs> this needs an update. Uh, uh, what he means is you can't control your age. And the head is the, would have been the first uh, sign of age. And that's what Jesus means. You, you can't even control your age. 
Verse 37, but let your, but you should act here anyway, but uh, verse 37, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Now, uh, I will get to it, I'm sure, but just many of these particular statements, just like last week with the, the, the thing with divorce and adultery, many of these things sometimes are interpreted rather clumsily, hastily, and then applied sort of recklessly, and then they just sort of become rocks that people throw or stumbling blocks. And this one, uh, people say, gasp, Jesus, Jesus says I'm not supposed to take any oath at all. I'm not going to swear on no Bible. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, no, everybody say simmer down. Simmer down. Once again, we've got to lean into the context of this to know what it is that Jesus is telling us not to do. Uh, he is not, but right ahead, let's just say this. Jesus is not uh, prohibiting solemnity. Say, taking, taking us, he is not saying don't stand up in front of people and exchange wedding vows. He is not saying don't take an oath of office. He is not saying those things. He's not prohibiting solemnity. He is correcting a lack of integrity. All right, now let's lean into the text. Here's, here's, here's the deal. Uh, verse 33, when he says, You have heard uh, that the ancients were told, You shall not make false, false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. What is Jesus referring to? He's, he, we've heard him now throughout the whole passage. We heard the word vow and the word oath, right? Everybody say vows and oaths. He's referring to both here. What's he talking about? Well, he's not, it's because he's, he may be using a, a, a quoting from a Septuagint or whatever, he's less quoting a direct command here and more referring to the teaching that, that is derived from several Old Testament passages. For example, here, Exodus 20, 20 and verse 7 is one of the, the Decalogue, one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, oftentimes we hear that and we say, oh, that means I'm not supposed to say, you know, oh, God. And, and why should you say that? But this is, has to do with oaths and vows, this particular part. part. And it's clarified again in these other passages. Luke 19, uh, Luke 19, Luke is in the New Testament. Uh, Leviticus 19, 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2, when a man vows a vow to the Lord, he shall not break his word. And then again, Deuteronomy 23, 21, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not be slack to pay it. The idea in these is when that, that commitments that were made in view of God or with, with a reverence to God's name were binding. They say, I got it. Okay? What is, what, 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 what's a vow? What's an oath? Uh, we understand making an oath is declaring before God that something is true or making a solemn declaration that something is true and calling on God to confirm it. So an oath is, this is true, and, and in this case it would be, this is true, and I'm saying this I'm saying it, and, and God sees me saying it, therefore I really mean it, okay? And a vow is pledging to do something while calling upon God as a witness that you'll do it. I promise to do this, you know, so help me God. In this context, vows and oaths. All right, so we understand that 
that the text that Jesus is affirming in the Old Testament teaches that the law says you must not break an oath or a vow when it's made in the name of the Lord. To do so is to swear falsely. You must not swear falsely. Everybody say, we must not swear falsely. We must not swear falsely. We get that. Everybody get that? Okay, we get that. Thank you, Michael. We get that. They got that. Most people get that. But just like, remember last week when they said, you know, you can get divorced, but then we said, all, but then they modified that to even if you burn the toast. Once again, different schools of rabbinical thought were exchanged, and uh, again, because of human nature, they they would drift. They drifted toward the path of least resistance, and so the idea was, over time, some began to argue, and these arguments became more and more influential, that it wasn't so much about breaking a vow as much as using the name of the Lord. Okay, okay, okay. So they developed elaborate rules for taking vows. Now, I know this is beginning to feel complex and frustrated, but this is the world that Jesus is entering and trying to correct. They would divide oaths into two classes, those which were absolutely binding and those eh, which weren't so much. Any oath that contained the name of God was absolutely binding. You use God's name, swear by God, to help me God, etc., binding. But any oath that succeeded in even appearing to evade the name of God was held to be not binding. Name of God binding? Yes. But... This is where we heard Jesus saying, if you swore by heaven or by earth, Jerusalem, or by your own head, if you swore by other things, it gave the, here's the thing, it gave the appearance that you meant it, but what you actually were doing was giving yourself a loophole to break your word. Yeah, 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 that's false. So, the further removed the oath was from the actual name of God, then the less danger one faced for violating it. It would sort of be like the thing where you say, I promise, but you said, no, ha, ha, I had my fingers crossed, right? You remember that? Oh, oh, oh you got me. <laughs> it was okay to lie because you put your index finger somewhere, I guess. Whatever. So what was the problem? What, what kind of cultural milieu did this create? Well, the problem was that it led to no personal credibility. And in the words of the great Rabbi William Joel, honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard. And mostly what I need from you, have a It's not a rabbi. His name is Billy Joel. It was a joke. You're welcome. 
In short, this vow formula became a clever way of lying or avoiding doing what one promised. It was a way to trick people. It was a way to get at, make us to appear to make a commitment and then get out of it. In short, people's words became worthless. And then you had to prop up your word creatively by swearing by this, swearing by that, and then what you swore by was evaluated and then nonsense. You're burning the toast and ruining marriages. Trust had to be propped up by external vows, and this created a culture of deceit and suspicion. Does that sound in any way familiar? This is why Jesus says, when we, this is why you think, why did Jesus say in verse 37, anything beyond these is evil? He doesn't mean it's evil when you take a wedding vow or swear to uphold your office, uh, that you've, you know, a peace officer or a judge. He's saying it has become evil when you, your words mean nothing and you have to prop them up with other things. You have descended into evil. So what's the correction? The correction Jesus gives once once again is quite simple. Yeah, but I say to you, make no oath either by heaven or by earth or the throne of God or by this, 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 that, nor shall you make any, but let your yes be yes. The, the, the correction is be honest. Everybody just say be honest. be honest. Do not prop up your integrity or your integrity should not have to be propped up. If, I, if, you, if you say you're going to help me, I shouldn't have to ask you for a cosigner. <laughs> Jesus is saying here in verses 34 through 36, when he's saying, don't swear by this, don't swear by this. And in each of the things he says, don't swear by, he, he, he connects those things to, to God himself. Now we understand why is because they thought that if they could distance themselves somehow from God, then that could make that 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 would get that would get them off the hook. But Jesus is saying God is already a witness to your words. No one can keep God out of any transaction, especially for those the words in red. That's you and me. Those are that's disciples of Jesus. He's talking to everyone's welcome to listen, but he's talking to disciples and he's saying as disciples of Jesus, you cannot keep God out of any of your transactions. He is already a part of your commitments. There is there is nothing that does not belong to God. There is nothing that is outside of his witness. Heaven is the throne of God. Earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is the city of God. And even our own heads do not really belong to us. Your life belongs to God. God does not need to be invited and he cannot be kept out. Every place for the disciple of Jesus Christ, every place is sacred. Because everywhere and everything is lived in the presence of God. So we are, we're honest. We don't have to, we must not need to have our integrity propped up. My friends, life cannot be divided into compartments in where some things God is involved 
and in other things he is not. Not for disciples of Jesus. There cannot be one kind of language in the church (laughs) and then another kind of language somewhere else. There cannot be one standard of conduct in church and then yet another in business. There is no safe place for a lie. When you break your word, you hurt people and blaspheme God. Which brings us to verse 37. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no, anything beyond these is evil. Therefore, first of all, don't, let, don't require, your, don't prop up your integrity. And secondly, let your word speak for itself. Would you all say that out loud with me? Let your word speak for itself. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Again, he's not prohibiting solemnity, especially as an act of worship or just honoring people. I think that's fine. Friend, dear friend in the house was, was just commenting this week about how meaningful certain vows has, have been in his life as a father, as a husband. Those things are all good. In fact, when we use them well, we are, they are actually expressions of worship. But when we use them poorly, we are hiding or obfuscating or manipulating. We are hiding our own lack of integrity and we are manipulating other people. There must be no pretense or falsehood in your speech. Here we have this command that challenges us not just to avoid oaths or vows. Well, you might say, man, I'm not not really a vower or an an oather. Again, Jesus takes something in the the specific and the extreme, and and we understand that it, it takes whole, holistic, complete, comprehensive application in our lives. As a disciple of Jesus, there must be no falsehood in my life, no pretense, no pretending. Don't hide, don't veil, don't mask, don't pretend. To do so is just manipulation or deception. What kind of person does not need to say anything but yes or no? (laughs) Yes, here's the rhetorical button. Okay, What kind of person, a person with no other agenda but love? That's why the implications, you know, what's the implication for righteousness? You remember this is, this is a specific example that's supposed to have broader implications for righteousness. The implication here, Ben, let's go to the, the implication slide there is this. Righteousness can be trusted because love is talking. Righteousness must be able to be trusted. Righteousness can be trusted. Why? Because love is talking. Remember, now Paul has, we, we've used this passage in Romans 13 to, to kind of always refer back to because Paul, Paul helps us see the, 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 uh, the, the process that love is involved. Romans 13, verses 9 and 10. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and, and uh, any other commandments are summed up in this one decree Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to its neighbor. If I, if I approach you with falsehood or pretense, I am doing wrong to my neighbor. I'm lying and not loving. Once again, like these other commandments, we see just like don't murder means actually means love well, so does don't lie. Don't lie means love well. Would you all say love well? When we engage in falsehood or in pretense, it is unloving. It is me-centered. It manipulates others. It, it coerces others to, to feel a certain way toward me that is untrue or to do things. It is unloving. But honesty serves others, it, and it, it's motivated to serve others and to love them. Falsehood also creates distance. Falsehood creates distance between you and God. Pretense creates distance between you and God. God is not keeping his distance from you. He is not hiding from you. Falsehood creates distance between you and God. Rewind the tape. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Ready? Really? All the way? You got to go back further. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. Are you there? All the way back. After Adam and Eve sin. Genesis teaches that as soon as they sin, God hides himself from them, right? Absolutely not. God goes looking for them. They hide. They hide. They, they're, they're, they, literally, they literally withdraw themselves and hide from God and blame other people for their sin. Pretense, falsehood, we create distance from ourselves and God. People make promises to God and they break them and they feel like God's mad at them and whatever else or they feel like they're not good enough so they put on errors or they put on falsehoods or they, they claim to be, hey, I'm just as good as somebody else or whatever else. All of that stuff, all of that pretense, even you're pretending that doggone it, you're, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty good guy, bless God. Even that is a falsehood. You know you need, you know you need a savior. You know you do. We all do. It's no secrets out. We, you might be a swell person, but you need a savior. So don't pre- the, the longer you pretend you don't need a savior, the more distance you're keeping between you and God. Just be honest. I need me a savior. I know one. He's the only one. Folks pretend they don't need help. I don't need help. I don't need. You do. You do. You need God. Religion is a crutch. You need it. You were designed for him. You are incomplete. You are fractured and broken without God. You didn't make you. He made you. You need a savior. You need a shepherd. You need a Jesus. And to pretend otherwise creates distance between you and God and only frustrates your life. So be honest. Be radically honest with God. I need a savior. I need a shepherd. I need a healer. I need a helper. I need a comforter. I need, you to, I need wisdom. I need provision. I need to, I need to walk with God because that's the only way that this life makes any sense. Be honest with God. 
And if, again, taking that as the example, if we are to be honest with God, if honesty is to govern our relationship with God, then honesty is to govern our relationship with others, especially disciples of Jesus. That doesn't mean you can go trick everybody else. But the, understand the words in red here are to put a, a certain expectation on the followers of Jesus to be examples. To be, so that others will also want to be disciples of Jesus. Only disciples are witnesses. So, if I'm going to be on, if I if if I'm the expectation is to be honest with God, if that's the expectation of a disciple, then it's the same. I need to be honest with you. I have to avoid pretense. I I I don't I don't put up veneers or falsehoods between us because that creates distance between us. That's manipulation and distance, and it's unloving. So the implication here is, I mean, it's so simple, but once again, in its simplicity, it's revolutionary for us if we'll let it just take possession of us. Righteousness means that I can be trusted. Righteousness is, 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 is honest with God and honest with others because love is talking. And that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Yeah, I'm going to have you bow your heads across the house again. here who knows that you need to be honest with God today. Now, don't, obviously, no one should be dishonest with God. But I mean, and you know what I mean, I think, that perhaps in the course of just as we've reflected over the words of Scripture today, with God you need to be honest with God that you need a savior you need a shepherd you need some help you need some healing maybe you have found yourself hiding from God sometimes feel like they're, they pull back some distance from God because they're upset. It's almost like, I know that you wouldn't say it out loud, but it's almost like I'm going to teach, you know, I give God this silent treatment. I'm going to teach him a lesson. I've been hurting. I've been disappointed. And I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going to pull back. But if you were honest, what you need is to draw near. You need to come close. 
honesty really, I guess you could just say it that way. Honesty is about coming clean and coming close. So with your heads bowed across the house this morning, I'd like to pray for you before you go again. I can't be honest for you. I don't, know if you know, I don't even know if I can be honest with you as far as with the Lord, but what I'm saying is only you can decide today whether you're going to be honest with God. You need to come clean or come close. You need a savior. You need a shepherd. You need a healer. You need some help. Anybody here this morning, would you lift your hand and say, yep, Dav, that's me. Today I need, there are some things I need to be honest with God about. Just lift up your hand right where you are. Just hoist it up. No one's going to ask you to do anything else. Today you just got to be honest with God. Just lift it up. Just keep it up for a minute, will you? I need to come clean with God. I need to come close. Lord, you see these hands, you see these hearts, and I pray that each person would be able to somehow articulate in prayer. They'd have a conversation with you. Maybe find a place to journal some things. Lord, I pray that today people would shake loose. They would throw off pretense, falsehood, stop trying to carry around the weight of that thing. They would just come clean and come close. One last thing I would say this, friends. I think about it, it's Father's Day and I'm a, I'm a dad and a husband, so I think about the importance of what I say people around me, my own family, and the significance of my words. I just want to challenge you, friend. We're not throwing rocks. We're only extending mercy. But there, there may be some things you need to make right. There may be some words that you haven't kept. And not keeping those things... And I'm not talking about you were unable to or things were outside of your control. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But some things that, some places where you've broken your word with a a friend or a family member that you need to make right. You're a disciple of Jesus. Don't let your pride get in the way. Just make it right. Even if it's just, I was wrong, will you forgive me? You may never be able to make restitution or put your word back together but at least be honest make it right and then one final challenge as you walk out of this house today remember this righteousness can be trusted because love is talking let's stand again